Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you again for being with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 23, and if you don't have one with you, that's all right. We'll have the scripture on the screen for you this morning, but we're going to be in Psalm 23 as we continue uh, in the second week of our new summer preaching series called The Songs We Sing. And so what we're doing in this series is we are looking at different types of emotions, emotions that we feel, some are very positive, some are very negative, and so we're going to cover a wide spectrum of human emotion in this series as we look at each psalm. And the reason that we are looking at the psalms for help and for guidance to deal with our emotions is because these are songs. The psalms in your Bible, there is a book of 150 different songs written by various authors, biblical authors. And so what they do is the Psalms, these songs, they teach us, they instruct us, they guide us as to how to deal with our emotions. God created us as emotional beings created in his image because he is an emotional being, yet his emotions are always perfect. Whereas Humans, sometimes we struggle, right? Sometimes we wear our emotions on our sleeves. Sometimes we bottle them up inside. The Psalms help us express how we are feeling really deep down in words that maybe we can't muster up. And that's what we're going to see again today as we look at Psalm 23. This Psalm is written by David. And so I want us to read this Psalm in its entirety, and then I'll pray for the Lord to bless his word. So would, we, would you read with me Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful that we are even here, that we get to be present in this building with other believers, with those who have come, Lord, perhaps just seeking truth and wondering, what is Jesus really all about? And is he relevant to my life? Lord, whatever the reason is that every person is seated in this place right now, I pray that you would use your word to speak to our hearts. And whatever emotion it is that we're dealing with, Lord, would you give us guidance and would you give us peace as we look to your word for the ultimate source of truth in this world today? Help us, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So when I was in middle school, um, I was a pretty good kid. I mean, I would get in trouble occasionally for uh, talking too much. still struggle with that today. Um, <laughs> But uh, one day, I got called to the principal's office. Now, this was super random. I had no idea, right? And that's one of those moments where you're like, you're like, recount, okay, what sins have I committed? You know, like, what, 
what did they find out that I did? You know, you're so, what did I do? So I get to the principal's office and uh, there was another girl in there and, and I knew she wasn't in trouble because she was a goody two-shoes, right? You know, and uh, it turns out I wasn't in trouble. Thank God it wasn't that. There, there were other moments in school where I got in trouble. This was not one of them. And uh, I don't know, I won some kind of, it wasn't like an award or some kind of recognition thing. I don't know. It was actually a great thing and I was excited. Now, I, I know this is a lighthearted example, but it points to a greater truth nonetheless that we all have those moments when we receive some kind of news and we're not sure what's about to happen and how do we feel? Super fearful, right? We feel anxious. We feel afraid. That's how I felt when I was walking to, from class to the principal's office. I was afraid. I was fearful. I had no idea what was about to happen. And I think there's something in our lives that eats at us when we are afraid of the unknown. That fear tends to really build inside of us and that anxiety starts to bubble to the surface and really starts to affect our daily patterns and rhythms and the way we think and live and interact with other people. It seems in our society though as a whole, I think we have perfected the art of being afraid. I mean, we have a whole holiday dedicated to celebrating being afraid, right? But we've really perfected the art of being afraid. We're really good, what I mean, is we're really good at finding reasons to be anxious or to be fearful of what might happen. That's really what fear is and anxiety especially of what might happen. We always ask the question, what if? Oh, what if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? What if he says that? Or what if she does that? Or what if we have to go here? Or what if I have to do that? What if, what if, what if? How many can resonate with me, right? You're, you're always asking that question and it's always bothering you. For some of us, it really eats away with us. It, it affects our sleep patterns at night. We're just rattling that question in our head, what if, dot, dot, dot. What if, dot, dot, dot. Now, I want to be clear. Hey, look, there are many legitimate fears in life. There are good reasons to be afraid. When I see a snake in my yard, yeah, that's a good reason to be afraid. My wife can attest to that too. Both of us, we're hoping one of our kids grows up to not be afraid of snakes, right? So they can take care of it. I'm afraid of snakes. Hey, I'm afraid of heights. I told you a couple of weeks ago, we went to uh, Rock City in Chattanooga, Tennessee to Lookout Mountain. And we're looking, you know, and my kids are like not afraid at all. They're running up to the railing. And I'm like, I'm keeping a safe distance, man. I'm like, I don't want to even get close to this railing to look down. I'm scared of heights, right? For some of you, you're scared of social situations. And I, and I get that, right? I mean, walking into a community group, right, here at Kernan for the first time, you're like, who are all these people? And I'm just walking in like, I don't know any of you. That's a, that's a fearful situation. I totally resonate with that. But all of us have very legitimate fears in life because you know why? Fear is natural. Fear is absolutely natural. We all will have those fears feelings because we live in a broken world. We live in a world where things are not the way they are supposed to be. And what I mean is that we live in a world that God designed to work efficiently and productively for his glory and for your good. But because of something the Bible calls sin, sin, it has destroyed 
our personal lives, and it has destroyed the creation and the world we live in. It has destroyed the systems. It has destroyed the product. It has destroyed all things. Everything is corrupted to some degree. Nothing is perfect in this world and in this life because of our choice as humans, as humanity, to rebel against our Creator. We go against God's design for our lives and we bring on so many problems and, and, and issues in the world. And so fear is going to be natural. In a fallen world, fear is natural to us. In fact, the Bible speaks a lot about being afraid. It talks a lot about anxiety. It talks a lot about fear. But what I'm saying today, and what I believe all of Scripture attests to, though there are very legitimate reasons to be afraid, what I believe that Psalm 23 teaches us today is that our lives should not be defined by fear. Our lives should not be ruled by fear. It should not dictate our everyday lives. So what then is the cure? I mean, how do we overcome? How do we get past that question, what if? I think Psalm 23 has some answers. I think the main answer is trust. Trust is really the true opposite of fear. God calls us to a life of trust instead of fear. If you had to summarize this song that David wrote to help us express our emotions of fear and trust at the same time, it's this, God calls us to a life of trust instead of fear. And there's really two major reasons why that's true that we see in these verses. Would you look with me at verses 1 through 3? The first thing we see is that you are never lacking. As a child of God, if you have truly put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, if you know Him to be your Lord and Savior, you are never lacking. In other words, you could say it this way, God cares for you. God cares for you. He takes care of you. Look at Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. David says in the opening verses of his song, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or maybe you have the NIV version that says, I lack nothing. I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in, in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You hear how beautiful the poetry is in this song? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And I love the key there. He restores my soul. He restores and refreshes our spiritual well-being. You see, these green pastures and these still waters... They represent satisfaction. They represent peace. They represent rest. But not in worldly terms, the way the world would define peace and rest and satisfaction. You see, this is soul care. That's what you're getting from God being your shepherd. It is soul care. It is rest for your soul. Whenever you see the Lord in all caps uh, in your English translation of the Old Testament, that is actually referring to God's personal name in Hebrew, which is Yahweh. So what we see here, David is telling us that our God is personal. 
He is intimately and personally involved in the minute details of your life. He wants to know you intimately. He wants you to know him intimately. And he cares about the meticulous little things that are going on in your whole rhythms and patterns of life. So our God, David says, is a personal God. He is personally shepherding us through this world. He is personally taking care of us as our shepherd. You see, shepherding was a tough job. In the ancient world and even today in some other places where they still kind of do it this way, shepherding was so tough and difficult because basically... To do the job efficiently, a shepherd had to basically become one of the sheep. You pretty much have to live with the sheep. I mean, it's hard work. It's very sacrificial. You have to give up so many comforts and pleasures to live in a field and sleep in a field. You know, you ever, you know, when Jesus was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds by night. Those shepherds weren't home sleeping with their families, they were in the field sleeping with the sheep. That's the only way. You have to be with the sheep to protect them and to guide them and to truly care for them. It's hard work. But God, God as our shepherd, doesn't mind. He never grows weary. He never grows tired. And He never fails. He never fails in providing for us what we truly Needs. You see, this is why David says we shall not want. We're not going to lack anything. We're, gonna, we're not going to lack anything we truly need under the care of a God, the creator of all things, who is omnipotent, all-powerful, and omniscient, all-knowing, and all-good, all-loving. That God is not going to let you just completely drown in terms of what you really need. Now, let me be clear. In this life, we may lack worldly goods. We may lack worldly comforts and and acclaim and respect from others. You see, we convince ourselves that we need those things to be happy. And you may very well be lacking those things in your life right now. All of us, to some degree, would look at our lives, whether it be our house or our car, and we would say, you know, I wish I had something a little better. Or I wish I had better version of this or more of that. Nowhere in Scripture are you promised that you're going to get all the great worldly, earthly treasures that you think you need. What Jesus or what David is talking about here is spiritual blessings that we have, namely on this side of the cross, in Christ. You see, our circumstances may bring us to feel that we're walking in a barren desert instead of those green pastures, that we're in the middle of a raging sea instead of those still waters. But we will never lack what matters, namely the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. The Lord refreshes our soul by reminding us of these spiritual blessings and applying them to our circumstances. So so I just want to be very clear today. What do I mean? Let's, Let's define that. What do I mean by spiritual blessings? Okay, I said you don't lack anything that you need. Here's what you need, right? Here's what the scriptures say. I'm not telling you this. The Bible itself, God himself has spoken and told us, here's what we need. Listen to this, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Paul said it this way. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have blessings in Christ. And so these these blessings, I want to show you some of these in the next few verses here in Ephesians 1. 
We should think about these. We should dwell on these. We should celebrate these blessings regularly and often with joy. Look at this, Ephesians 1.5. Here's one blessing that you have. This is something that you don't lack. If you, if you, and I'm speaking to those of you who have truly put your faith in Jesus, right? If you've turned from your sin, you've confessed to God that you're a sinner, you've trusted Jesus to be everything you could never be, and you truly trust his grace and forgiveness over your sin, this is to you, okay? Here's what you get, Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. You've been adopted. You have been adopted into God the Father's family. You were a spiritual orphan in desperate need of grace, drowning in your own sin. And through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, by you putting your faith in him, God adopts you. He brings you into his family. That's one thing you're not lacking in this world. Here's another spiritual blessing. Look at at verses 7 and 8, Ephesians 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. You have redemption and forgiveness. So in other words, you've been redeemed from your sin, right? Though you still struggle with sin from time to time as Christians, absolutely, every day we're still going to struggle in this life. Walking with the Lord is not easy in a world that doesn't walk with the Lord. You're walking against the grain of society. You're walking against the grain of your own sinful flesh, right? The Holy Spirit, though, lives inside of you, and he's redeeming you. He's redeeming you moment by moment and crafting you and making you and shaping you to look more like him. He's redeeming your heart and your soul as you journey through this life, and you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Man, how blessed is it to be forgiven? I mean, think of all the mistakes and all the bad things you've ever done. Did you know that God does not keep a record of those things? I mean, we should say amen to that. I don't know about you. I've got a long list. I got a long list of things that I need to be forgiven of. But praise God, he has forgiven me through Jesus Christ. That is something that you're not lacking. Look at this, you have an inheritance. Not only are you adopted into the family, you're forgiven, legally you're clear. Look at this, you have an inheritance. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So in other words, God not only gives you the blessing of knowing him, being a part of his family, legally being completely free and innocent because of Christ standing in your place, forgiven, redeemed, you also are going to get an inheritance. You see, not all of us are going to get an earthly inheritance from our father or our mother. But when you get to heaven, you are going to get an inheritance. You are going to get to live with the creator of the sun and the moon and the stars. And you're going to get to walk and talk with Jesus who knows you and created you and loves you. You are going to get the inheritance and the riches of heaven for all eternity. Look at this, Ephesians 13 verses, uh, 1 verses 13 and 14. This tells us that all of these things, these spiritual blessings that we do not lack are guaranteed. Listen to this, verse 13. In him you also... When you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. It's not what if. Do you see that? 
There's no fear or anxiety here because this is not, eh, it might happen. Well, what if it, what if, no, there is no what if. The Holy Spirit of God is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's going to happen. Now, in light of that, you tell me, are you lacking anything? But us having rest in Christ is not even the end goal. You see, he leads us, David says in this psalm, in the first three verses, he leads us on the right paths of life, the path of righteousness, for what? For his name's sake, for his glory, not ours. The path of righteousness will almost never be the easy path to take in this world. Doing the right thing in the Lord's eyes will almost never be the right thing in the world's eyes. But he will guide you as our shepherd as you follow him in obedience. Your life will testify to his glory and his goodness. And so you will never lack because he is constantly caring for your soul. That's number one. The second thing, though, you see, that, that, that truth is, that's, that's truth, right? Number one, you're not lacking the spiritual blessings in Jesus if you know him. He cares for you. But when the world throws everything it has at you, and when you are dealing with immense pain and suffering of whatever kind, whether it be emotionally or physically or relationally, what we need to know in those moments is that we are not alone. That God is with you. And that's the second thing we see here. It's a beautiful song that David wrote because he's about to get real. The second thing we see here is that you are not alone. God is with you. Look at what he says in verse 4. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We say this, we say this psalm at funerals. Why, why do we say this, this at funerals so much? Because ultimately we need to know that as we're walking through that valley and the reality of death is so real and so present to us in that moment as we stand or sit before a casket of a loved one or stand beside a grave. In that moment, what we need to know is that the God who has poured out his life and his grace and those spiritual blessings that we know in our heads we have, what we need to know is that he is with us in that moment. You see, David uses this poetic language to illustrate the lowest lows and the darkest moments of our lives. The most fearful moments. Where we find ourselves in the predicaments and the consequences of just the naturally fallen world that we live in. This sinful world with all its disease and all its evil and all its wickedness. When we face that head on, we need to know how to express our emotions of grief and fear and trust. Do we trust God? You see, 
The Psalms help us deal with those emotions, as I said. You know, for some of us, our tendency is to kind of bottle our emotions up and not deal with them. Some of you are really good at suppressing how you really feel, and so you've actually bottled up your emotions for years. And the truth is, you, maybe you haven't dealt properly with the loss of a loved one or a past sin that you've committed or anything. Some of us, on the other side of the spectrum, we wear our emotions on our sleeves. <laughs> you don't even have to be asked, how are you doing? You, you can tell everybody how you're doing, right? Just by your emotion and your face. But see, I think there's a better way. I, I think this psalm helps us deal with the emotion of our greatest fears by turning us to truth that can properly deal with it by turning us to the truth of the presence of God. For me and my wife, Christy, our greatest fear came true on January 27th, 2014, when our first child, our daughter Addie, was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And she was only four and a half months old. And for those of you who have ever been diagnosed with cancer or some kind of terminal illness, or maybe your loved one, has suffered through these things, I think you know the feeling that I'm about to describe. Because we felt that our world was completely crumbling. And I can hear the doctor's words in my ears now as we're sitting in the emergency room in Georgetown, South Carolina, where she says to us, we think she may have leukemia. And in that moment, you don't even know how to process it. You're in shock as you should be and you would continue to be. Your world is crumbling and that perhaps for the first time in your life you realize how little control you really have. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are going through it right now. You realize how little control you actually have over your life. And that's the feeling we had that day. That's the feeling we would have many more times over the next 12 and a half months as our little girl fought so hard, and as we watched her fight this evil disease. You see, fear, we're talking about fear today. Fear was so prevalent in my mind. <laughs> what if? What if this doesn't work? What if this chemotherapy doesn't work? What if this surgery doesn't work? Fear was so prevalent at times in my heart, and we lived in and out of the hospital. And I, and I can't count the number of times that we waited for answers and didn't get them. And how that prompted doubt and confusion in my own heart. Because in those moments, you can't help but just wonder and ask, God, what are you doing? How could any good come out of this? And where are you right now? But I'll never forget the words of a pastor friend of mine who was visiting us in the hospital one day when Addie wasn't doing so well. And I remember thinking, you know, I, I didn't, I just, I don't know what I would do. I remember telling him, I don't know what I will do if she dies. And he said these words to me. He said, God will give you the faith you need as you need it. 
God will give you the faith or the trust in him that you need as you need it. And I didn't really grasp, and I don't think I understood what he meant in that moment. And I'm still learning it. But I don't think I really grasped and understood what he meant in that moment until Christy and I experienced it when God called Addie home to live with him in heaven in February of 2015. And I want you to know this. I don't really have anything profound to say. And I don't really have any specific answers, honestly, for what you're going through and your personal suffering right now. Whatever valley or shadow of death that you're walking through right now, I don't have magic words to tell you that are going to immediately calm and rest your soul. But here's what I can tell you. That if you focus your heart and mind on the truth of God, and that you fully trust and believe that He has already proven to you that He is totally for you and with you and loves you because He gave His life for you. If you can believe that truth, God will give you the faith you need as you need it. And it's a process. It's a journey. He's not forsaken you. You are not alone. Our God is with us. He will comfort us with his truth. And I want you to listen to me today. Because for some of you, you are in the thick of it now. And I just want you to know that fear, fear does not have to be your song. It doesn't have to be the song that plays over and over in your head. Fear does not have to rule over you. It doesn't have to define you because Jesus, our shepherd, our Lord, has already walked ahead of you through the valley of the shadow of death and has defeated evil for you. That's what happened on the cross. That's what happened on the cross. As Timothy Keller points out in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Imagine what Jesus' followers must have been thinking. When Jesus was suffering, hanging there on the cross, he had had such a successful ministry. He had healed so many people. And so many people believed in his name. He had done so much good. What had he done to deserve this? Some of his followers had to be thinking. And think what his own mother was thinking. What was, what was Mary thinking as her, son, as her son hung there, suffering and actively bleeding before her eyes, and there was nothing she could do to stop it? Surely one of Jesus' followers had to be standing there thinking, I don't see, I don't see how God could bring any good out of this. But did he? Did God bring good out of the suffering of Christ? You see, it was through that very suffering. It was through that suffering that God would save the world. That he would save his people from the ultimate suffering of eternal death and separation from God. Listen to this, John 10, verse 11. Jesus said these words. 
He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, became a sheep. And he suffered in our place by offering himself as a sacrifice for you. The author Jerry Bridges says, Our greatest need is not freedom from adversity. All the possible calamities that could occur in this life cannot in any way be compared with the absolute calamity of eternal separation from God. I once heard another pastor say, the worst thing that could ever happen to you already has. The worst thing that could ever happen to you already has. You be condemned for your sin and separated from God, guess what? That happened to you by being nailed to the cross with Christ. Christ hung in your place as your substitute. When Jesus died, you died. Your sin died that day. And you are free today as you have ever been and ever will be, spiritually speaking, until we reach eternity. The eternal judgment you rightly deserve because of your own choice to sin and disobey God, that judgment happened to you on Calvary 2,000 years ago on the body of Christ. And when he rose from the grave, so did you. That gives you new life. Now let me ask you, is God with you? Are you alone? He is with you and he knows. He has walked through the valley of the shadow of death already for you and ahead of you. And guess what? He's going to walk through it a thousand more times with you now if he has to. He will. That's the only reason the personal care, the touch of his grace, it's the only reason that we can even proclaim what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Listen to this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, it's preparing us. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Romans 8, 28. And just listen to this truth. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And guess what? You may not see that good on this side of heaven. You may not know what that good is on this side of heaven, and that is okay. Because you have to trust. We must trust that the good, all-powerful God who holds the world in His hands are, is truly working all things together for a good, ultimate purpose. I believe it 100% of my heart. I do. All things together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Paul says later, 10 verses later, verse 38. Romans 8, 38, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height. What if, what if, what if, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us 
from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So David ends this short, simple song packed with profound truth. He ends it this way. Look at Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His presence in your life is real. His provision for you is real. You lack nothing that you need. And because of this, fear does not have to be our song. We can trust our loving Father who loves us more than we'll ever know on this side of heaven. We can trust He will bring us to dwell with Him forever. Our band is going to come up and they're going to play a song and this song is titled Psalm 23. And so they're going to sing these words that we just heard. And what I want you to do as they sing, you can sing along or you can pray, but I want you to think, I want you to contemplate what in your life, what in your life right now is causing you to say, what if? And I'm fully aware there's a broad spectrum of fear. It could be something as serious as a physical illness. It could be something as trivial as something that you don't even know what's going to happen this week because of a work situation or a relationship. But it all matters to God. And wherever you are right now, confess to the Lord where you are fearful. As they sing these words that we've just heard from God Himself, these words of God, Confess your fear to the Lord and ask Him to give you a heart of belief, a heart of trust in His goodness, in His grace, in His presence, and His provision. Ask Him, and He will. Would you listen to these words? Let me pray as the band begins. Jesus, thank You for being our good shepherd. Thank you for loving us and giving up your life for us. Lord, you became one of us. We are the sheep. You became a sheep. If you walk through the valley of the shadow of death before us so that we eternally don't have to. Lord, whatever fear is binding someone in this building today, I pray that you would release them from that fear. Lord, break the chains of fear around whoever is captured by it today. Let your children not live that way. 
Give us a heart of trust in your goodness, in your power, in your presence in our lives. Lord, you are with us every step of the way. And you know, you know what it's like because you have been there. Thank you, Jesus, for being a God that cares for us and walks with us through our suffering. Lord, we believe. Help us where we don't believe. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
trust. You may not understand it. You may never understand it completely. But we can trust our Lord, for he is with us. May we fear no evil as we leave this place.